you, men. Amen. You know, as we get ready to jump into the word, I do want to start by saying happy birthday to everyone. Oh, Pastor, what do you mean happy birthday? It's not my birthday. Well, today we celebrate eight years as 3W Church. Amen. So happy birthday. Uh, There's some faces that are newer to the church, and I love seeing you and getting to know you. Some faces that have been here for a long while. I'm not tired of seeing you. I still love seeing you every single day. And I pray you don't get tired of seeing me, okay? Uh, But uh, it's so exciting to be able together to worship God, together to be able to pursue God. And you know, we're living in a time where there's so many things taking place specifically against the body of Christ. There's so much division, there's so much confusion, there's so much stuff going on. And it goes against what God truly wants for all of us. And as I think about our church, and I'm going to talk just for a second about that and jump into this message that got put in my heart, we're entering year number eight. And eight is a number of very big significance scripturally. The number eight in the scripture represents new beginnings. It represents a new start, resurrection. Some of you looking at me is like, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to show you in scripture. How many days did it take for God to create the earth, okay, six, rested on the seventh, right? That's all good. Go back to Genesis chapter one. I want you to notice something about the number eight. God created everything in eight phrases. Eight times it says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be this. Took him eight phrases to create it. In six days, rested on the seventh, And then what happens after your Sabbath day when you restart a week? It's the eighth, the new beginning. Jesus resurrected on the first of a week, which is, again, the eighth. When you go a week is one through seventh, and then there's the Sabbath as the seventh, and then the eighth. Resurrection, new beginning. And God started stirring this in my heart back in June. In June, we went to conference in Louisiana, uh, my wife, myself, and several of the, uh, of the pastors and leaders of the church. And uh, we went to conference in Louisiana, Bethany Church in Louisiana. And we took our daughters for the first time with us to conference because they were going to have their own kids' conference. And so we, we had got into church, and we parked, and we went inside, and the kids had to go to a different building, right? And uh, I didn't want to lose my parking spot. So I was like, man, do I walk? I mean, it's like, it was literally about, a, it's about a half a mile walk to the other building. Or, or do I move the car and they have to park somewhere else? And this gentleman in a golf cart said, I'll take you. It's like, awesome. Like, heaven's open. Yes, let's go. So I jump in the golf cart with my girls and with Patty. And uh, we, we start, you know, it, the go- it was one of those golf carts that has like three rows. It's a big golf cart. And uh, so she sat in one of the rows with the girls. There was another family in the thing. And I sat next to the driver. And I'm there in the thing, and he drives us over there and starts asking me about, and asking, what's your name, where are you from, so on and so forth. And uh, we go, we drop off the girls, he waits for us to bring us back. As we're driving back, he says, so, so tell me, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a pastor, our church is in Miami. He's like, oh, awesome, you know, what's your church's name? I was like, it's Worship Without Walls, 3W Church, and wow, that's awesome, no, you know, without walls, getting out there, that's amazing. He's like, how long have you been a church plant? 
I said, we've been a church for seven years. In August, we're turning eight. This man, he wasn't one of the pastors. He wasn't one of the guest speakers. He wasn't a person. No, he was a servant, a person who was there to serve in the ministry, in the parking lot, began to speak life over me and our church. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, this is exciting. You're going into year eight, the year of new beginnings. And I, I, I knew it. I, I've studied. I knew what eight meant or what not. It's like, it's the year of new beginnings. And Pastor, I feel God telling me something. This is going to be an explosive year for your church. And not only is it a new beginning, but everything that you need for that ministry to flourish is already sitting in your congregation. This gentleman speaking life over you and our ministry. I, I, I got back inside. Conference was about to start. I got a big old smile. Patty's like, I was like, I, I just got a word, right? Like, like, I just received and conference hasn't started. And so I've been stirring with what's going on in our society, what's going on in today's thing, and what's going on with the church. Now, I talked about our church for a second, but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the church. If you don't speak Christianese, I'm going to explain to you that the church is not a building. The church isn't a building. We, when we have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, we have a direct relationship. We are the church. In the Old Testament, before Jesus comes and dies and resurrects, the Spirit of God did not live in people. The Spirit of God, the presence of God, was in the ark. When the children of Israel were out in the wilderness, they built the ark and it carried there. Have you ever seen Indiana Jones? You know what I'm talking about? The Ark of the Covenant. That's not a fake thing. It's real, although they haven't found it yet. That part is fake. But that's where the presence of God was. And so the ark had the presence. The children of Israel were out in the wilderness, they, and they went through the desert. They start taking the promised land. They have different kings. And here comes my fa one of my favorite Bible characters, King David. And King David, after he builds his massive palace, he looks and he says, I've got a house, but God, you dwell in tents. Because the children of Israel would lift up the, 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 the build the tabernacle when they were in the wilderness, and then they would have the ark in a tent. He's like, God, you're in a tent, and I'm in a palace. Something's wrong with this picture. So he tells God, I want to build you a house. And God's like, well, I didn't ask for one. But one thing is sure, you are a man of war, and you have shed a lot of blood, so you're not going to build me the house. Your son will. So David doesn't get upset at God. See, we might have been like, what do you mean, God? Like, 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 but for real, I got the cup, I got the ark back. You know what David did? He gave the largest single offering that anybody has ever given. I, I mean, if you get into today's currency, what David gave out of his personal treasury towards the building of the temple that Solomon was going to construct, it was in the billions the amount of gold and silver and things that he gave. So Solomon builds this temple. He builds this temple. It is all overlaid in gold. 
All of the cedar logs overlaid in gold. It is just the most magnificent, beautiful building. And that's where the presence of God was. That's where people would go. Then later on, there's the temple, right? And that's where the veil, when Jesus dies on the cross. I'm fast forwarding and I'm going to go back. I'll get you there. You fast forward to Jesus dying on the cross. The minute he dies on the cross, the Bible says that the veil was torn in two from top down. This is a veil that was 30 feet tall. It wasn't something that could be torn by someone. It was four inches thick. It wasn't something you could just rip. It was literally torn by God from the top down saying, you no longer need to go to a place to find my presence. You are now the church, the bride. You are the one that is the body. You are the church. Now, if we go back in time, after Solomon, the children of Israel continue with their dance. And this is what I call the children of Israel dance. I get close to God. I get away from God. I get close to God. I get away from God. get close to God. And so the children of Israel, in that back and forth, it falls trap to what God told Moses. If you abandon me, I will scatter you. So the temple was raided. All the gold was taken. Everything was destroyed. Everything was broken. And we get to the time of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah... If you go to chapter one of Nehemiah, and just bear with me, I'm going to cover a lot of ground today, but it's a word that God has just been stirring. In Nehemiah chapter one, starting in verse number one, it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hashaliah, it came to pass in the month of Shislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah gets word that the homeland is in ruins. And verse 4 it says, and so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you. We have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the ordinance, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the furthest parts of the heaven, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. 
Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. First thing, book of Nehemiah points out for us as Christians is compassion. Nehemiah was filled with compassion when he heard of the situation in Jerusalem. But what does godly compassion do? It propels you to pursue God further. Nehemiah heard of the ruined walls, of the fire, and what did he do? He prayed, he fasted, and went to God. Compassion will lead you to walk back to what God wants. Prove it to me, you ask. Every miracle that Jesus did, feeding the 5,000, healing different people, it always says he was moved with compassion. And what did being moved with compassion result in? It resulted in a supernatural shift because of his connection to the Father. Compassion. And then, Nehemiah, he asked God there, right? Let your servant find mercy in the sight of this man. Of which man? Of the king. See, because part of what you and I need to do is have the courage to confront things that need confronting. And we, when we are connected to God, will be used by God to fix things that are broken. So Nehemiah here in chapter two, it says that he goes before the king in verse number one, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, remember, he said, I'm the cupbearer. For those of you that don't know, the cupbearer was the person that literally did what it means, right? They drank of the cup or ate of the food before the king did to ensure that it wasn't poisoned. That person had to be someone you trusted. So Nehemiah, even though had been taken captive, he's not in his own land. He's one of the people that was scattered. He's grown in favor before this person, and he's the cupbearer. So the king notices. He sees him all the time. He notices something's wrong. He says in verse 2, the king said to me, why is your face sad? You're not sick. This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? So the king said to me, what do you request? And then here's the next line, right? Look at that. Watch, 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 watch. So I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, part of the issues that we have a lot of times as Christians, we answer without praying. Nehemiah had been praying and fasting and asking God for mercy in front of the king. 
And the king asked them, what do you want? And what did he do? Give me one second. I'm going to go pray for a minute. I'll be right back. I prayed. And then he tells the king, if it pleases, verse 5, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. The place where the presence of God was, his holy city, Nehemiah said, it's my time to go rebuild those walls. And as I've been studying and praying and God has just been putting, pouring into me, I felt God show me a picture of the church not 3W Church, go back, I'll give you all these history of what the church was, where the presence was. Now I'm going to talk to you about us, the body of Christ. And I began to see a picture of the body of Christ full of broken walls and burned down doors. Because the body of Christ, the church, throughout the last centuries, due to compromise and wanting to be right and wanting to have acceptance of this and acceptance of that and do this and do the other, have allowed for the walls to be destroyed. And God, I felt, asked me and saying, are you ready to be one of the ones that goes back to rebuild the walls? Not the walls of a building, the walls of the church. And when you decide to stand Opposition will come. Opposition will come. I mean, I'll go there. The Hurricanes took the lead, and the game didn't end. Opposition came. And then the Gators took the lead, and the game didn't end. The Hurricanes scored. Opposition, right? There was a back and forth. Opposition will come and expect it. I mean, it's not David who said it. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulations, but have peace. I've overcome it. So you're going to have it. And, 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 and so Nehemiah, he goes back to Jerusalem. And in chapter number two, we're there in chapter number two, verses 18, uh, 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 sorry, verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 says, When Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? Intimidation. Trying to bring fear. And look at his answer. So I answered them and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, and you have no heritage or right in the memorial of Jerusalem. Church, the same way that you've got to be moved with compassion and pray and go to God, you've got to have that courage within yourself to stand and say, God is the one that's with me and I will do everything in my power to rebuild the walls. I will do everything that is in my reach to rebuild the walls of the church. Again, I'm talking about the body of Christ. The church. And you know what it's going to take for the rebuilding of the walls? It takes cooperation. 
It takes unity. It takes everyone working together. The whole church, not individual churches, not individual Christians, not individual silos, the whole church working together. I'm not going to read it because chapter three is really long. But if you go to chapter three, I'm just going to read like the first three verses. You'll watch, watch. Go to chapter three. Then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brethren and his priests and built the sheep gate. They consecrated and hung its doors. They built as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated then as far as the tower of Hananel. Next to Eliashab, the men of Jericho built. Right? If you go to verse 3, also the sons of Hanasseh built the fish gate. You go to verse 4, and next, the, them of Miramoth, the son of Uriah. You go all the way down the book, and it gives a perfect circle of this family fixed this section. 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 All the way around, working together to rebuild the walls. So I ask you the same question. Are you ready to be the Christian that says, I will stand with my fellow brother and sister in Christ? Whether whatever denomination, whatever way they like to sing, whatever way they like to praise, am I going to stand with them together to rebuild the walls of the church? To rebuild the walls of the church. Compassion leads us to run to God, to pray, to fast. And pray and fast for what? For the church that has all these destroyed walls. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28 is a perfect depiction of this cooperation. Look what the apostle writes, Philippians 1, 27, 28. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whatever I, whenever I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. What is God's perfect plan for a broken world? The body of Christ united as the church. And the time is now to get up and rebuild the broken walls. To get up and rebuild the broken walls. All of us, wherever we are. And again, opposition will come. And you know how you combat the opposition? Go to chapter 4. Nehemiah, we're still in Nehemiah. Watch. Go to chapter 4, verse number 16 and 17, watch. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, the whole, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all those of the house of Judah. Verse 17, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held the weapon. 
Pastor, what do you mean? We're not walking around with weapons and swords. No, 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 watch, 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 watch. How are we going to fix the walls of the body of Christ? With one hand, I'm going to serve my community. I'm going to love my community. I'm going to do things to help my community. I'm going to spread that love. But with the other hand, I'm going to be filled with that sword of the spirit, eating what God says, doing what God says, so that I can stand and do and whatever it is that God says to do. With one hand, I will do, and with one hand, I will defend. You know, part of the problem in the body of Christ, we don't defend this anymore. Those listening to the audio, I'm talking about my Bible. We don't defend the scripture anymore. We allow political correctness to change everything. I read an article on CNN this week talking about a very large denomination. Not going to mention it because irrelevant, that just had its meetings in Washington, all the bishops and people and all the different stuff, and they've put a vote to remove every masculine name of God and masculine pronoun and only use gender neutral pronouns for God, and it passed with only like two people voting against it. Last time I read my Bible, Jesus said, Father. One specific preacher or, or pastor from that denomination, one lady, she stood up and says, it's time that we change it. As a matter of fact, we should change it to be a woman because the scripture talks about the God of the strong or big breast, pecho robustos, is how it says in Spanish, the translation. Well, newsflash, I got breasts too. No, stop, stop. I'm going to go there. Listen to me. When my daughter is crying in the middle of the night, you know where she goes to lay up and hug? Up on daddy's chest. When she's in a bad thing and something's going on, daddy comes and pick her up. It's not a feminine thing or anything. No. God our father. And the church is allowing for everything to infiltrate. And because we don't want to step on toes... We decide to succumb and not talk about it. And you know what that does? It just eats away at the walls. It eats away at the walls. It eats away at the walls. It breaks down the walls. So are you ready to be the Christian that stands up and says, no, 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 hold on a second. I'm, I got this compassion. I see the walls breaking. I'm going to work on my section of the wall. Because here's the other part. We're very good at seeing other people's broken walls. Pastor, you, you, hey, did, anybody even, did you notice that there was this thing there in the corner or whatever? And it's like, uh-huh, I, I did. And I feel like saying, yeah, I remember going to your house. It was a freaking disaster. You're here trying to call out because that's, man, Christians are good at breaking other Christian walls down. Two weeks ago, a very well-known worship artist from Hillsong put out a post saying that he's doubting his faith. And instead of Christians praying for him, Every post I saw was talking bad about the guy. You know what that's doing? It's proving the point that the devil just put in his mind. But if you read chapter 3 of Nehemiah, 
As a matter of fact, it's your homework for today. I usually don't give homework, but since it's the first week of school, I'm going to give you homework. I want everybody to read Nehemiah chapter 3 thoroughly. And you're going to notice that it says, and this guy built the section of the wall in front of his house. And then this guy built the section of the wall in front of his house. If we stop worrying about other sections and start worrying about the section in front of us, we're going to be able to close that down and help someone else to build their section of the wall so that together we can rebuild the wall of the body of Christ. Because the walls of the church, they got some holes. And it's hot in here today. Even my socks feel wet right now. That's what it is. Hold on, give me a second. All right. We're going to get somewhere now. Compassion. Compassion that leads you to God's purpose to pray, to fast, to act. Do you know that the book of Nehemiah is the equivalent in the Old Testament to the book of James in the New Testament? And the book of James in the New Testament is all about how you're supposed to live as a Christian, where it says, if you see somebody that's hungry, don't just pray for them, give them a McDonald's burger. Not in those words, but that's what the essence is. Wendy's burgers are better, in my opinion. Compassion. cooperation, working together with other people, working together to advance the kingdom of God, working together to do all that God said to do. Confidence, that confidence that Nehemiah was able to speak to the king because of the prayer. The confidence that Nehemiah was able to go and tell Sanballat and, and the Horonite and the thing of, hey, God's providing and we're building the walls. Confidence to say, I am a Christian and I walk in love, but I will not tolerate X, Y, or Z. And I will not compromise my belief. And then, courage. Courage. See, I'm not going to read it there, but if you go to chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah, it says that Ezra, the priest, began to read what the law said. And they started living right. But you know what happened? For after a time, when Nehemiah the cupbearer, who became then the governor, and that's a whole other preaching that we can have about Nehemiah the cupbearer becoming the governor. We're starting a new series next week, so that one will be in a while. We'll, we'll, go, we'll revisit that again. He had gone away, and he comes back in Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12. He comes back, and he sees. He sees that again they've begun to deviate. And you know what he did? He got all the stuff of the deviation, and he kicked it. He threw it out of the house. And he said, this is what the law of God says. We need to have that courage 
to say this is what God says. But like I talked about a little while ago, you got to have the Bible in one hand while you show God's love with the other. You and I, when we work together, will be able to usher in the presence of God. Archaeologists have discovered, y'all know I like science stuff too. Archaeologists have discovered portions of that wall of Jerusalem. And you know how wide the wall was? Eight feet thick. Watch, watch, watch. An eight thick foot wall was built by a whole slew of people working in cooperation to the standard that God wanted. And you want to guess how long? 52 days. This wasn't with tractors and concrete mixers and pourers that came and, you know, little things pouring out. No, 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 no. They built out of rock a wall that went around the entire city, eight foot deep and thick and tall in 52 days because they worked as one. Everyone praying for the presence of God to fall and revival to come is wasting their breath if they're not praying for unity in the body of Christ first. Because the spirit of God can't fall upon a divided people. The spirit of God cannot fall upon a divided people. back in June on a golf cart. This is the year. And I felt that urging of God. It is the time for us as Christians to build the church, not churches. To build the church. It's funny. If you get to know me in a deep personal level, you will find out very, very quickly that I am huge on bringing unity and working with other ministries. Very big. I love all of you, but I understand that you are not mine. You are God's children and his sheep, and he's given me the privilege to pastor you. There's a distinction there. So because I understand that, if anybody ever says to me, well, it's very few people who actually say it. Most people just disappear and start going to another church. But if anybody ever says, Pastor, I, I just feel from God that it's my season's up. I got to go somewhere else. You know what I do? I look up churches in their neighborhood. And I say, hey, man, if it's not working, if you're not receiving from the way I bring the word, I get it. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Here's three or four churches around you. Please check them out. Stay connected to the body of Christ. I think that's ethical and good pastorship. I got people that talk about me saying that I kicked them out of church because I gave them other churches around their house. I didn't beg them to stay. I'm not going to beg you to stay. You're not mine. You're God's. I just get to shepherd you. I, I know that's a really, really deep for some of y'all. You're not getting it, and that's okay. But those that have been mature Christians for a while, you're chewing on that. I am called 
to raise people up to build their wall. To teach you how to pray. To teach you how to pursue God. To teach you how to pray for people. To teach you how to go out there and show the love of God. Serve people. Be the church. And in the process, our church does get to grow. We've grown. I'll pray for our new building. We don't fit in here. And that's a good problem. It's a blessing. If you're clapping, it's for God. So give it for him, right? But the time is now for us to arise and build the walls that have been broken. I got a confirmation of this again yesterday. I've been developing this. It's been, it's been a while. It's, again, it's me. I, I, I got a new cable, but it's not working either. All right. I'm going to have to buckle and actually buy a new <laughs> microphone. I hurt my wrist on Friday. Did everybody see the beautiful logs outside? When you walked in in the lobby, everybody saw those beautiful logs? Yes, yes. What can I say except you're welcome? <laughs> Them logs, the big ones, weigh about 175 or 200 pounds. And I was brilliant going to pick them up by myself. Long story short, I hurt my wrist. Significantly enough that I said, I'm going to go get an x-ray. If you know me, I, I don't go to the doctor unless there's something bad. Like, I, I just don't. I, too much stuff going on in the thing. So, so Friday night, I, I, it happened Friday morning. It went throughout the day. Every time I would move, I, it, it, it was fine in certain motions, but then certain things I did, I mean, like I could count the stars. I felt like Abraham. One, two, three, four. Get home, I put a little wrap on it. We go to the breakfast on Saturday. We're doing stuff, and at, and at a couple of points, I'm just grimacing, and I told Patty, I said, when we get home, I'm going to go get an x-ray. She was like, that hurts that bad. I was like, I'm saying I'm going to go get an x-ray. Good or bad, I have a high threshold of pain. So when I say I need a Tylenol or something, it's, it's, it's bad. And so I go get an x-ray. And I go, and I start filling out my paperwork, and I pay my copay before they see me because, you know, thank God for insurance. Um, man, they didn't get that joke either. I guess it just wasn't a good joke. <laughs> Anyways. They finally let me inside. And I'm sitting there. I, I just came from the, the thing. I'm still sweaty. I'm wearing my 3W serves shirt, whatever. And, uh, you know, the nurse comes in, takes my vitals and my stuff, and this young man walks in. He's like, oh, I'm going to be taking your x-ray. I was like, awesome, cool, let's go. So we start walking over there and get an x-ray. And we start talking. And, and uh, he sees my shirt. And, and we start talking about God. And he's a believer. And so we're talking. We go do the x-rays. And uh, I had a nickname as a child. My nickname was Broken Bones because I had a stretch where I broke each arm twice and fractured kneecap. And I, I, I got experience with x-rays. So, you know, the guy comes and puts the thing. And I put my hand. And then he goes out to get the other one. And when he walked in, my hand's the next position, right? He's like, do you have a background in radiology? I'm like, no, I just broke my arms many times. So I know, I know what's coming next, right? He takes my x-rays. And after he takes my x-rays, he takes me back to the room. He looks at them. He sends them off to the lab, whatever. And he's like, 
at this point, he knows I'm a pastor because we started talking about the Lord. And he's like, no, pastor, uh, you know, everything is fine. Everything looks, looks fine, but, you know, we're going to get you a splint thing, whatever. So he comes back in and he brings me the wrist guard, the wrist splint. So I put on this wrist splint and, and we put it, and he says, is it too big, is it too tight, whatever, we, you know, we put it on there. And he goes to walk out the door and he says, pastor, if I see you on the street wearing it, I'm going to ask if I can pray for you. I said, why on the street? Pray for me now. He's at work, right? He's honoring his thing, right? But I asked. So he came back in. I said, pray for me. The young man, firm believer, goes to a local church down the street, uh, King Jesus Ministry with Pastor Maldonado. And, 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 he, and, he, and, he, said, he, and he puts his hand on me, and he begins to pray over my wrist. So then I take off the wrist guard, and he's like, move it. How does it feel? I was like, man, it, it, it feels a lot. It feels better. I, I feel, you know, I received your, the, the prayer. And he goes, after the wrist guard, he t- begins to pray over my wrist a second time. And I'm moving. I was like, man, like, it, it's not hurting. I feel, I, I was like, praise God, you know? This is amazing. This is awesome. Can I get my copay back? No, just kidding. <laughs> you got that one. Yes. All right. If you're here for the first time, I enjoy laughter, and I feel that it's important for us to laugh, even in church, okay? So he goes to get ready to walk out, and the doctor walks in, because I haven't seen the doctor yet. So the doctor walks in, so he walks out, and I've got the brace in my hand or whatever, and the doctor's looking at me, and and he's like, oh, you know, everything looks good on the x-ray. You know, everything's fine. You might just, you know... What, what fell on you? It was like about 175 pound log, but it didn't crush my hand. It just hit me and I shift, whatever. He's like, oh, you're lucky. I was like, no, I'm good. We're going to be all right. And then he says, well, you know, it's going to take a couple days. I'm going to give you a prescription for a pain med or whatever in the thing. I was like, all right, cool. Send this to the pharmacy. And, uh, and then he goes, gets ready like to write me a note for work. You know, because in case I need to use my hand or whatever. It's like, so what do you work in? And I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, really? I mean, I'd love to ask you some questions. I said, let's go. Ask me as many questions as you want. This guy just prayed for my hand. I'm on fire. I'm moving my wrist. So he begins to clarify that he's not very religious, but he grew up with a Catholic parent and a Moravian parent. And Moravian is another branch of Christianity uh, that started in North Carolina. It's whatever. I knew what it is. I knew what it was as well. He was surprised that I knew what it was. And, Whatever, but he's like, but mostly Catholic and this, that, and the other. But I ask you all this to ask you this question. And he asked me one of those hot topic questions that Christians get asked. So my answer was, because this is how I answer all these questions, right? Before I answer your question on whether this is sin, not sin, whatever, and the thing, are we going to talk about other things that are sins or not sins? You know why I say that first? Because I see where the trap of the enemy comes. I'm going to ask you one question, and whatever you answer on that one question, I'm going to rip down your wall and talk bad about you with. So my response is always, I'm going to answer whatever question you want, but are we going to have a dialogue, and are we going to talk about a slew of other things? And we ended up having about a 20, 25-minute conversation, this pastor and I, talking about science, genetics, what the scripture says, back and forth. He, at one point, he's like, he's like sir, I, I can sit here and talk to you for hours. I said, Let, let's do it. Let me know when you want to talk. 
And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, this is how we're going to repair the walls. See, we're going to repair the walls by sitting with people and having dialogue and saying what scripture says, but because we're filled with compassion, we're praying and fasting. Because we're working together in unity and cooperation. Because of the fact that we're filled with courage, because of the fact that we're not afraid and we are doing what God says to do, we're going to be able, and, and remember, we repaired the wall with the scripture in one hand showing love in the other. But if I don't know what the scripture says, I can't have a dialogue. I can't talk. I left the doctor's office, and as you can see, my, my wrist is, is good. It's all right. I, I, I'm going to give you this. This is the biblical Biblical saying, oh, God wanted you to get hurt. No, God didn't want me to get hurt. I should have gotten help with the logs. And I would have run to this doctor at Costco, okay? However, the Bible says in Romans 8.28 that he will work together for good to those that love God and call according to his purpose. I guarantee you I had a lot of the things I would have enjoyed doing for two hours, being that I had to then go also do a, uh, a celebration of life service after I left the hospital, okay, than to sit there for two hours. However, God turned my thing into an opportunity to have my faith stirred and a guy prayed for me. His faith was stirred as well and I got to spend 20 minutes talking to this medical professional with right biblical standing. Why? Because I read the Bible. Like we encourage you to do every single day. You gotta read scripture because it is impossible for you to be able to have an accurate conversation with someone who is going to throw at you science and things, which is why I read scientific journals sometimes and study things, just to be able to know how to defend myself with what I believe in the Word of God. Why? Because together, all of us fixing the portion of wall in front of us, we're going to be able to change the culture of the church to be a God-fearing, spirit-seeking body of Christ that puts to the wayside where people are from, that puts to the wayside socioeconomic status, that puts to the wayside all different things that divide us, One of the people yesterday at the center that we were at praying in the morning or in the, in the old thing, they asked my wife, well, okay, you want, you want us to pray? Yeah, but, but, but what denomination are you? We're non-denominational. We, we, we just, we, we kind of just, we believe what this says. And I stand upon what this says. In love and compassion and mercy. To reach the hurting, the broken, the lost. So that together we can rebuild the walls of the church because it's time to rebuild the walls. Church, the time is now to rebuild the walls of the church. Not a church, the church. The time is now. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.